minimalists. <laughs> You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast, a podcast that welcomes anyone but isn't for everyone. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about enough is enough. Mm. I've had enough, Ryan. Me too. Let's, we're going to answer some surprise questions, but first we have some more about less. The article today is from Neuroscience News. Why our brains miss opportunities to improve through subtraction? Mm. Here's the summary. Study explains the human tendency to look at a situation or object that needs improvement in different contexts and instead generally believe adding an element is a better solution than removing one. Mm. So our brains... This... Uh, would have been helpful for the minimal episode. We were talking about why do we always want more, 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 more was one of the questions. Yeah. Well, the reason, one of the reasons is our brains feel as though adding something is superior to subtracting. Mm. And there probably is a, a, well, here it even says here, if as the saying goes, less is more, why do we humans overdo so much? In a new paper featured on the cover of Nature magazine, uh, University of Virginia researchers explain why people rarely look at a situation, object, or idea that needs improving in all kinds of contexts and think to remove something as a solution. Instead, we almost always add some element, whether it helps or not. That's the key. Yeah. We're always adding, even if it doesn't help, or it often hurts. Well, you know, I think there's that... Oh, what was the bad uh, in the bad advice uh, episode? One a couple of the, weeks ago? Yeah, one of the pieces of bad advice was... Um, better to have and not need it than need it and not have. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, obviously that's pretty bad advice, but that is where our brains go. It's like, well, we want to hold on to something just in case because it's better to have it uh-huh. and not need it than it is like, you know, to, to miss out if all of a sudden we need something and we don't have it. Well, that's that fear of the unknown thing, yes. which doesn't exist. It's right. really the fear of, of losing the known. Mm. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that that all plays a role into this. The team's findings suggest a fundamental reason that people struggle with overwhelming schedules, that institutions bog down in proliferating red tape, and particularly interest to researchers that humanity is exhausting the planet's resources. Quote, it happens in engineering design, which is my main interest, said Lady Klotz. Copenhaver associate associate professor at the Department of Engineering Systems and Environment, but it also happens in writing, cooking, and everything else. Just think about your own work, at, and you will see it. The first thing that comes to our minds is, what can we add to make it better? Mm. In my writing, it's fascinating. I teach this in the writing class, how to write better. Yeah. Uh, you, you get to build up all the sediment, so there is the adding at first, mm-hmm. but it's like it's like collecting rocks in a way. Yeah. Or collecting a giant rock. From which you build your sculpt your sculpture, but that's what how sculpting works. Right. It's always about removal. It's yeah. never about addition. Yeah. A, a think about that. A, a sculptor never adds to their work. Yeah. They always subtract they're to their work. They're only taking away. Their yeah. subtraction is additive because it adds beauty. Yeah. And so maybe that's what we need to think about. Subtraction is always additive in some way. I know I practice this like even when I'm sending someone an email. It's like, you know, I dump it all out on the on the page and then the SFD. Yeah, right? Yeah. And the, yeah, and then uh I sit there and I'm and I'm like, "Okay, try to refine it." And then once it's absolutely refined, I'm like, "Okay, now what can I take away from this and still give the same message right. and communicate it?" And uh yeah, it's, it's it helps a lot. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think that um I think that we don't realize that we often when even writing is a great example is we think that Writing is writing. Composition is writing. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Real writing is done through the editing process. Right. Rewriting is writing. Yeah. And, and so the rewriting is also a subtracting process. Mm-hmm. It's panning for gold. It's sculpting. Yeah. Klotz, whose research explores the overlaps between engineering and behavioral science, teamed with three colleague, colleagues from the blah, 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 on, inter- on interdisciplinary research that shows just how additive we are by nature. Batten Public Policy and Psychological Faculty Assistant Professor Gabriel Adams and Associate Professor Benjamin, Benjamin Converse. Wow, there's so many names in this. Um, they studied the phenomenon. When considering two broad possibilities for why people systematically default to addition, either they 
generate ideas for both possibilities and disproportionately discard subtractive solutions or they overlook subtractive ideas altogether. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Yes. We're never thinking about, as a society, how would your life be better with less? Right. That's why we started Less Is Now with that question. How yeah. might your life be better with less? It's not a question people typically ask. No. Yeah. In fact, it's almost always, how do I make my life better with more? Yeah. How do I cram more into this life? Yeah. Well, why do you feel like you don't have enough right now is maybe the question. Yeah. And, and, and we'll put a link to this article in the show notes so you can read the rest of it if you like. But why do you feel like you don't have enough right now well i can tell you why Hmm. it's because you don't have enough in some respects you don't have enough peace you don't have enough freedom Hmm. and so we try to get those through proxies like pleasure yeah like success like achievement like money we think those are proxies for happiness well-being whatever it might be but no they get in the way of the happiness and the well-being quite often you know it's interesting when when you have enough it's not like all of a sudden you are extremely happy. It's like when you when you have enough and when you can look at your life and think, oh, I have enough, like that's kind of the baseline for now you can put aside the thoughts of wanting more and having to obtain more. Now you can focus on the things that you really want to focus on, whether it's your health or relationships or cultivating a passion or whatever it is. But we get confused with, well, if we can figure out what enough is, then we'll be happy. It's like, no, no, no. When you figure out what enough is, now you have the freedom yes. to do other things, to you know pursue happiness or to pursue a meaningful life. I, pursuing happiness, I really kind of flinch when I when I say that or hear that because... Yeah, I, I think the pursuit is, is the problem, right? right? The, the, the pursuit is the thing that actually makes us unhappy. Right. Convert, which is like this perverse paradox, right? Because like we've even been told it's a right of ours. Right. Now, I, I like what you said there like, because we, we're thinking of this quite often as a mathematical equation, mm-hmm. but it's not math, it's poetry. Mm. And, and, and so identifying what enough is doesn't have to do with the quantity it's the qualitative experience that is enough and as you said it's not even about like getting the things to make us happy it's when we have enough we experience a contentment a tranquility a bliss Mm. Uh, uh, the uh, Indians have a Hindu word for this I'm blanking on it right now I think it's um, Atnam Mm. and it is basically it's a type of of bliss that one gets from not acquiring. It's like self bliss oh, is maybe a way bliss within the self. Mm. And and when I think about bliss or whatever, it's never pursued. It's never like oh I'm going. I, you don't seek out bliss. We we often seek out happiness or oh, pleasure. That's interesting, yeah. But contentment is sort of the default state when you have enough. Now if you don't have enough. It, now, no, no one listening to this doesn't have enough. Let's just be clear about that. If you're listening to this, you have enough. Probably, yes. Yeah, yeah almost certainly. Yeah. Is there going to be some exception out there? Probably not, but who knows? Um, because if you have the ability to listen to this, then you have the ability to also get the, the bare minimums. Mm. The, the, the problem is you might have a lot of misery in your life. Mm. Where does that misery come from? Where does the suffering come from? Well, it comes from fear. It comes from desire particular kind of desire called craving and that craving the needing more items the the more trinkets it's going to the mall and window shopping yeah now Hmm. there's two types of window shopping here one is appreciating what's in the window going to the museum is like a type of window shopping right but you're not actually shopping you can't take anything home right right although you have to exit through the gift shop. Right. <laughs> and, and that actually leads to the second kind of window shopping where it's browsing for something to purchase. Mm. You've mentioned in the past that when you would go out shopping for Christmas presents for people or birthday presents, mm. you would go to the mall and look for inspiration. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, I got a $50 budget, and so I'm just going to walk around and look at things that are less than f- and maybe something will stand out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's the worst way to shop for someone. That so, is so not thoughtful. <laughs> right. And so the reason we don't have enough is in some rare instances, I'm sorry, the reason we have misery is because some rare instances we don't have enough. It's What you're talking about makes me think of this minimal maximum. I don't know if it's tweetable, but um, craving is misery. Yes. And the more we 
uh, feed those cravings, the more miserable we're going to be. You're spot on because here's the thing. The always wanting more means that we haven't identified enough. That's Mm. all it means. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't identified enough, then of course you're always going to want more. Now, here's the thing. You can also be an ascetic um, who or a Spartanist. Yeah. If you don't identify what enough is, Mm. you can keep getting rid of everything. Right. And become miserable as well. It's a different type of craving. Craving to get rid of, then it just yeah. becomes another pursuit. Right. And you're craving to pursue less. Oh, interesting. So, oh, interesting. I never thought of it that way. But like, we're not pursuing minimalism. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, mm. it, minimalism is a tool. You don't pursue a hammer. Right. Uh, mm. You simply use the hammer to get the job done. You don't become infatuated with the hammer. You're not, you don't become a hammerist right, in a way. Like right. e- even a carpenter is, they don't identify with the specific tool necessarily. They yeah. use the tools to get the job done. For us, the job is identifying what enough is. Mm-hmm. And like I said, th- there are those rare instances where someone doesn't have enough. They're depriving themselves. You're right. going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. But for anyone listening to this, You have more than enough. That is the reason for your misery. And the only reason you have more than enough was one of two reasons. Either you haven't identified what enough is, which is more than likely the reason, Mm -hmm. or you've identified what enough is and you've chosen to ignore it because of the societal conditioning that says, I will be happy if I get more. Yeah. There's something with fear too. Um, it's all fear. Yeah. I think I think ultimately it's it's all goes back to fear, which is the antithesis yeah. of love. Hate isn't the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. Fear is the opposite of love. Fear just says I in fact any well, sort of suffering that we experience has to do with a type of fear. It's interesting because we often hate because of fear. Mm. Fear of uh fear of, you know, something bad happening to us, fear of uh, not being able to trust someone, fear of you know, whatever it is, That's true. fear of something being different. But it's funny how, um, yeah, I think a lot of hate comes from fear. I, I think ultimately all, all hate comes from some sort of fear. Yeah. Uh, and in any of these so, so-called so bad emotions that we feel, they're all fear-based emotions as well. Mm-hmm. Every time that you've been angry in the past, that I've been angry, mm-hmm. it's because we fear losing something or not gaining something, which is, by the way, not gaining something is a type of loss yeah. only when we crave it. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Mm. I, I don't crave a Lamborghini. Right. And so, like, I don't have any sort of emotion about it whatsoever. I right. don't have fear. I don't have, I, I don't have a desire for it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, certainly don't have a craving. And I don't even have, you know, sadness about not getting it or I'm not grieving over it. Mm-hmm. it and it's because I don't have that. There's no fear associated with it whatsoever. And, and therefore... I'm not experiencing any suffering as a result. Yeah. Now, if you were to take away something else that I crave, mm-hmm. even if I haven't attained it yet, yeah. then I am going to lash out in some way. Sadness, anger, grief, mm-hmm. tension, you know, whatever it is, yeah. these negative emotions. It's interesting because I think about cravings and you know, it usually has to do with food or drugs and we, addictions. Yeah, addictions. But it's, I mean, it's the same exact thing with our stuff and with physical. I, we have this addiction. We're stuff addicts. Yeah. Ooh, is that the title for this episode, John? Stuff, stuff addicts. addicts. <laughs> yes. Now, we do have a bunch of surprise questions. I figure we would dive into those because we only have a an hour in this space today. We're mm-hmm. building our new podcast studio. Thank you, patrons, by yes, the way. Y'all are amazing. And you're you're gonna get the first look at it as soon as we get in there and we, we start doing the build out. in fact we we've we've just got the keys this week mm. and now we are beginning the process of the build out. So stay tuned for that. Jessica has a question for us. Are we being conditioned from childhood to always want more? If so, how does a strong sense of self that is self esteem self-esteem, self-reflection, and self-confidence help to combat that conditioning and inspire individuality. Uh, Jessica kind of hit the nail on the head here. Mm. When you when you can love yourself, when you can appreciate who you are as a person, you will you will have less cravings. Mm-hmm. And you know, I speak from experience in the sense that um Oh, I, I mean, this doesn't have to do with like physical items or, or anything, but just having the self-confidence that I have now, like I can look in the mirror and I feel very genuine. I love who I see in the mirror. 
So when anything challenges who I am as a person, um, it's not much of a challenge for me. I mean, if it's a a criticism, like my, my mother, for example, God love her. She comes over and uh, she'll stay with me every, every, you know, every couple of few years she'll come out and visit. Mm -hmm. And she always gives me a hard time about doing pour over coffees. She's like, how can you not have a coffee pot? That doesn't make any sense. You like to make your coffee one cup at a time. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, mom, that's exactly what I like to do. Like Mariah doesn't drink coffee. Uh, If I made a pot, I drink the whole thing. Uh So yeah, I I, have more than enough. Yes. I do one cup at a time. And like, you know, she's all like, it takes her a couple of days before she just like accepts the fact that if she wants coffee, she has, and I'll make her coffee, but sometimes, you know, she's, I'll be gone and she has to do it herself and she just doesn't like the process of it. You know, it's Uh like confusing to her. Anyway, I can look at that and I can respect her opinion and her preference or whatever, but like that doesn't affect me. Yeah. Just because it's an opinion. Right. Because she feels like I need a coffee pot doesn't mean I feel like I need a coffee pot. What a great point, man. Yeah. So so I I love where Jessica's going with this because it does come down to having a a higher self esteem than I used to have, being able to reflect on myself more than I used to, having a bit of more self confidence than than when I did my twenty five year old self. Yes. So when you do have these things, you will you will start enough will start to be clear to you. Yes, there's a, the word I would use is self-understanding because self-reflection can also can can unfortunately turn into self-rumination. Sure. And we, we need to be careful about that because then we start reflecting on how awful I am and oh, why doesn't anyone like me or whatever. That's not obviously that's not what Jessica means when she says self-reflection. But maybe the better way to think about it is understanding thyself. Mm. And, and if you understand yourself, then you won't need more anymore. Yeah. And, and, and because you'll, once you truly understand yourself, you'll understand what enough is. Not the quantity of enough, mm-hmm. but the essence of enough. You know, there isn't an item you can buy to gain more self-esteem. And, no. and there isn't someone's opinion that you need uh, or approval that you need to have higher self-esteem. I mean, let's talk about confidence. Yeah. So ostensibly you would think like, well, the more people say I'm awesome, then the better I'm going to feel. I mean, it's, it seems that way. It's not true, but it's not true. A couple weeks ago we talked about DMX dying, right? Yeah. And you know, he had all the self-esteem and he had all the Mm self-confidence until he became famous. Yeah. And then you saw it sort of wither away. Yeah. Because here's a weird thing. Uh, the difference between confidence and arrogance, arrogance is unearned confidence. Mm, right. And so so what DMX, I think, realized, because he, was, uh, he, he understood acutely, like, oh, this is m- more than what I bargained for. I didn't ask for all of this. Mm. And maybe there was this feeling of, oh, I didn't even earn this. Mm. And so, but in order to keep up the sort of confident bravado, then you have to have an unearned confidence, which is just arrogance. Yeah. Confidence is, is earned through understanding. Once you understand yourself that you don't need the external validation, yeah. And by the way, as soon as you need the external validation, good or bad, you're tethered to both always. Yeah. And it's the reason that like, if I let positive Twitter comments get to me, then the negatives are going to get to me as well. And the only, in fact, the only reason negative comments get to me is because the positive ones do too. Mm. And so that feeling, if, mm. if you walk in here today and say, oh, Josh, your hair is looking good. And I get that little, oh, what? okay. I, I have no, like, okay, I fixed my hair a little bit this morning, but I'm not responsible for the way my hair grows yeah. and the, you know, the the genes that I was born with. Like, or people are proud of, I'm proud of being from Dayton, Ohio. Like, I, I, I feel that. Yeah. But then also it's like, uh, okay, I was born on a patch of dirt. Like, yeah. I didn't choose that. Mm. It wasn't part of my volition, right? And so we have to think about these things that, that are sort of false confidence yeah. in a way. And, and once we understand ourselves that we're not tethered to all of these externalities, then, then we're really able to have, I guess we would call real confidence. Yeah. Christy has a question for us. It feels like holidays are becoming increasingly consumeristic. Yep. And most children don't need more toys. Agree with that. How do we teach our children to be happy with what they have and not compare their belongings with those 
of others. Well, let's let's talk about most children don't need more toys. So the average Western child has upwards of 300 toys. Mm. It's a little less than that, but they play with 12 on, on daily mm. on average. And, well, what does that mean? Does that mean they have 288 too many toys? No, not necessarily. Um, but it does mean that they often have too many. But the reason they have too many isn't because they shouldn't get new toys is because we continue to hold on to things well into their obsolescence. And as soon as something becomes obsolete, our ability to let that go, which isn't something you do, it's something you stop doing. Your ability to stop clinging or stop craving Mm. because we don't even crave the thing anymore. It's sitting there in a box. Mm. And the only time we fear letting it go is when we have to confront it. Right. Because uh, otherwise, we don't care about the thing. We don't want the thing. We don't crave it until we're sort of forcing ourselves to confront it, to let it go. Yeah. And then we start to crave it again. And, of course, that's irrational. Yeah. So how do we teach our children to be happy with what they have and not compare themselves to others? Well, there's nothing you can do that is prescriptive. Yeah, you can't, like, to, uh, yeah. here are the three steps to happiness. Or Yeah, or here's the... Here's how you make your kid not look at what other kids have. The right. only the only thing I would say to this question, like to answer it head on, is, you know, Christy, kids do what they see, not what we tell them to do. Mm-hmm. So if the parents are having conversations about what other people have, and oh, I wish we had that, and we need to get that, then that's going to seep into the to the kids' psyche. Yeah, but if the kids can see that the parents are happy with what they have or they feel like they have enough. Because that that was a problem with me growing up is there was always talk about what other people had. Yes, same. What, what we didn't have. Mm-hmm. And the, you always saw the pursuit the money of problems. more. Right, exactly. And what you saw from you know this un- underdeveloped brain as a kid, we all have underdeveloped brains, you saw, oh, we don't have enough. Right. And that is our problem. Mm-hmm. When... Here, the truth was you did have enough. Yeah. You had too much, had too in much. fact. Yeah. There's too much imbibing, right? The alcohol abuse, the drug abuse, that's too much. Yeah. Not that alcohol is inherently evil, but too much of anything is too much. Right. It's a tautology, but it's the truth. Yeah. A- and so what you saw as, oh, we don't have enough, mm-hmm. that's what most of us see. I don't have enough. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem. We have too much we've become stuff addicts in addition to all of our other addictions Mm -hmm. and so that's why i don't judge anyone who has some sort of alcohol addiction or a drug addiction i'm the same addict it's just i i have different substances upon which i feast and have a hard time controlling myself for me it happens to be stuff Mm -hmm. right i have stuffitis as dave ramsey called it in our last film now um the comparing belongings to others, what's fascinating is around age seven or eight, so about Ella's age right now, she'll be eight this month, and she, around this time is when they start actually learning more from their friends Mm. than they do their parents. Mm. So uh, I saw this meme recently where it was like this, uh, this guy whispering in the ear of another guy goes, hey, what about, what about your, if you're homeschooling your kids, then they're going to have a hard time uh, being like all the other kids. And the guy goes, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And so if you don't want them to be influenced by their friends, mm. uh, too bad. They're going to be. Yeah. And so choose your fr- kids' friends wisely. Yeah. And there have been times where we've had to like stop Ella from... Uh, spending a bunch of time with with certain kids or we've been grateful for when a kid moved out of the neighborhood sort Mm -hmm. of thing because they are more influenced starting at age eight they're more influenced by their friends than they are by their parents the first four years they're most influenced by their mother Mm -hmm. specifically but then any other parental figures around them and but then by age eight it really is like it's much more nurture than it is nature yeah. and it's the nurture of their their peer group is much more influential than their parents i have like three things that come to mind um one is uh love your children like go out of your way to show them that you love them yeah um 
enjoy being with your kids. Hmm. I mean, isn't that what Becker says? Like the number one job of a parent is to enjoy your kids. Is that Joshua Becker? Uh, I think Rob Bell said. Maybe it was Rob Bell. Yeah. 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 I think but, it was probably but, Rob Bell. But you know, enjoy being and show your kids that you enjoy being around them. Yes. Support your kids hmm. whenever you can, whether it's uh, helping them cultivate a passion or maybe they need help, whatever, cleaning the room, like whatever it is, like just support your kids as much as you can. Like you don't want to coddle them all the time, right? Yeah. Sometimes a baby needs coddled. But if you're doing those three things, then and it's so easy for me to give advice on parenting when I don't have kids. But I feel like if you focus on those three things, yes, you're going to have bumps in the road. You're going to have ups and downs. Your, your kids are going to be unhappy sometimes. They're going to see something that they want. You're not going to let them have it or you're, you're going to set boundaries for them. They're going to be unhappy. But ultimately... If you do those three things, uh, that is your best chance of your child coming out and and appreciating what they have. That's because just the love alone. Mm-hmm. Like I think about my dad was a very affectionate father, and uh, I really like I really appreciate that growing up. I mean, he, we were really close. Um, he was a total hugger. That's where I get it from, I guess. Um, but I look at a lot of kids who had way more than what I had, Yes. but their parents could, didn't really care about them. Didn't really, didn't really show them that love. Most and, of the kids who had more than you had, had less than you had. Yes. In hindsight, not, you know, in the moment there were people who lived on, you know, McBurney Hill kids who had, you know, and they lived in these big mansions and they yeah. had all the game consoles and half pipes in their backyard. And like, I saw that and I wanted it, but hindsight, you had crack pipes in your backyard. Right. Exactly. <laughs> hindsight. Um, I would have chosen my, my life filled with love from my parents than a life filled with stuff that other kids had. Yes. So even in the moment, if your kids are dissatisfied, I promise you, you stick to the those three things, and your kids will grow up to really, really appreciate what you've done for them. What I love, uh, what I love about what you're saying here, is all all the observations that you have just laid out on the table. They don't involve parenting, right? And so, so what I'm actually hearing, like, if there's a fourth thing to sum all of that, those three things up, is don't parent your kids, right? In, in the sense of like actively parenting, because. That's not what caring is. Yeah. It's not being the dictator of your household. That's not loving. In fact, control can never be loving. Mm-hmm. Yes, in society, as we discussed a few weeks ago, you do have to set up boundaries around your kids mm-hmm. because the stove is not a fire. And so you could actually leave a, a small kid around the fire and they're going to be fine around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, but a stove, they're going to get burned because they can't tell. You know, they're not. It's not in their nature to understand what that is. Right. So we've taken human beings out of their nature. And so we do have to set up some boundaries for our kids, but it's not about parenting them. It's not about teaching them. It's not about uh, imparting wisdom or lessons on them. Mm -hmm. It's about caring for them. Yeah. It's about loving them. Because you can tell your kids what you want them to do until your face turns blue. Mm -hmm. But ultimately like they're going to do what they do. So instead of, yeah, trying to parent them, just try to find a way to support them and love them. Andrea has a question for us. How do we find the strength to oppose the status quo? So let's talk about the status quo. The status quo is manufactured, right? Yeah. And it's also different. It's cultural. So there's multiple cultures throughout a society, right? And so the status quo where you and I grew up is different from even the status quo in Los Angeles and yeah. the neighborhoods that you and I both live in now, right? And so the status quo changes as the culture around you changes as well. Yeah. And so some status quos are more pernicious than other status quos. Yeah. You see some on reality TV and you're like, oh my God, I can, the reason it's so cringy to us is because a part of us identifies with that. Yeah. Like, oh, that's actually just the worst version of me. Yeah, I, I see the worst version of me and that's just the worst version of them. And it's not that person's fault. They have been acculturated into behaving that way. The status quo leads to that quote unquote bad behavior. Mm. And, and therefore the status quo always leads us to misery. And so minimalism is the perfect response to the status quo Mm -hmm. because it is 
about questioning the status quo. Right. It's identifying what are the norms in our society within your culture that have made you miserable. Most mm. of our norms are not natural. And, and they even sound similar, right? We even use those terms interchangeably. Uh, the, as though if it's normal, it's natural. Mm. No. Normal is often the antithesis of natural. <laughs> right. We've gotten so far away from our nature that normal is the five screens between our face and the and the wall, right? Yeah. That's now normal. Normal is everyone at the family at the dinner table looking at their glowing device. That has become normal. That has become the status quo. That is not natural. How do we question and oppose the status quo? We identify what is in our nature. Because what's in our nature is what's natural for us. You might say that's what's good for us, but not morally good, but it's the thing that brings us peace. And our nature is to be content. Yeah. Happiness is not pursued, it is merely uncovered. Mm. And, yeah. th and therefore, we don't need to pursue the status quo. The status quo is always a pursuit, by the way. Yeah. It's always more. Mm. It's keeping up with the Kardashians the Joneses, yeah. the Trumps, whatever. Yeah. It's more, more, more. I need to live in opulence just like the people on my TV or on my Instagram account. Their life is beautiful, therefore mine has a deficit. I am lacking. No, 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 no. They have too much. And they are miserable by that too much even though it's not apparent from the facade that is displayed. Yeah, so how do you find the strength? Well, A, you could stop looking up to people who are part of the status quo. So if yeah, you're, if you're yeah, so if you're watching the Kardashians, you're probably going to start wanting more. Mm -hmm. If you, uh, watch MTV cribs, is that even still around? Sure. <laughs> like you're, you're going to, sure you're going to want more. So be careful with the entertainment you're taking and the things that you're focusing on, who your role models are. But ultimately the problem with the status quo, Josh, mm -hmm. is that it's comfortable. Yes. It's not painful. Yeah, it, well, it, that's a weird thing. It's comfortable. It's also pleasurable, mm -hmm. and therefore it creates a a type of pain, not acute pain, a chronic pain that so, we call misery. Yeah. So the the pleasure that you get makes you comfortable enough to not have the strength to oppose the status quo. Yes. So if you, Andrea, if you want to oppose the status quo to find the strength. You've really got to identify the pain that the status quo is causing you. And because the, it is. And yeah, but the problem is, is that it doesn't, doesn't cause enough pain. Mm. So getting to that question of how might your life be better with less, identifying the benefits of not going along with the status quo, like that is where you're going to start to draw strength from. But first and foremost, like you just got, you got to be careful to, uh, to who you look up to mm -hmm. and to what kind of entertainment you're taking in. I, I mean, when I think about... Yeah, I mean, yeah, my childhood had a lot to do with my craving for more, but it also had to do with like getting GQ magazine and L and like all those, all those, uh, you know, all that entertainment I was taking in that was just showing me opulent lifestyles, which made me want to live an opulent lifestyle. Right. And so identifying the pain points, because right now the, the difference between acute pain and chronic pain is the acute pain, you know, oh, I smashed my elbow into the door. There's like acute pain right there. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, the chronic pain is just like I, I'm like sore all over, and it keeps going. Yeah. Oh, like this is actually, and then we like we we put up sort of mechanisms to deal with the pain. Yeah. But that's the problem, though. We're dealing with the pain instead of trying to eradicate the problem that's yeah. causing the pain. We're and we cover it up with balms. Uh, our balms, our, our version of Tiger Balm is like the next product, yeah. consumption. Oh, I'll buy the shirt from Instagram. Oh, did you see what was on Instagram this week? They, they, the, I, this ad I got served up, man, they're personalized. And right. It really knows what I'm craving. No, 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 no. It doesn't know what you're craving. It's creating the craving in you. That craving was not pre-existing. You uh, have been told to crave this thing by psychologists and statisticians and demographers who are paid lots of money to encourage you to crave. Yeah. So, yeah, if we're focusing only on the symptoms, then the, the pain will always be there if we're not addressing the problem itself. Stephanie has a question for us. 
How do you handle when your enough is different from your partner's enough? Uh, here's the thing. Your enough is always going to be different from your partner's enough. Yeah. Even if you're, yeah, Bex and I are so, so similar. And even our aesthetic preferences are very similar. Mm -hmm. But her idea of enough is different from my idea of enough. Sure. She likes to go camping. Yes. You don't like pretending you're poor. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to pretend for 18 years. <laughs> right. And another two years in my early 30s. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I've identified what's enough for me. Mm -hmm. It's not about identifying what's enough for your partner. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, that's just a type of comparison. Yeah. It's interesting because the saying identify enough makes me feel like, and I know this isn't what you're saying, but it sounds like, oh, I've identified enough, so let me write it out for you right now. Mm, yeah. And let me, or let me take a picture of it for you. Sure. And you can't really identify enough that way. Right. I mean, it's always going to be a feeling. It's always, it's going to be a, it's like a sunset. You can, you, you know a sunset when you see it, but you can't hold on to it. Right. Right. And by the way, when, at what moment do you call a sunset a sunset? Right. Because is it, is it three minutes before it has uh, gone well, under the horizon? Maybe it's the millisecond that it goes under the horizon, right. but then it's over. Right. It's only for, I mean, technically, if, if that's how you identify it, then it only happens for a millisecond. Right. And so, so maybe expanding your understanding of enough by, by realizing like a sunset, there isn't a moment the sunset starts. Right. It actually starts before it's a sunset. Yeah. And so enough also starts by realizing like, oh, I have more than enough right now. And I'm going to get to an area that's closer to enough by subtracting. Mm hmm I'm getting closer to the sunset, but then eventually I'll get to enough, and it may not be enough. It may not be enough anymore, yeah. and 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 therefore it's it's starting the process all over again. But it's my enough, mm -hmm. and recognizing, and then we have this four-step process. Ryan and I have it's an acronym we use, Tara, T-A-R-A. Mm -hmm. When we look at someone else, understanding that you know Bex, she has a different kind of enough for me. Yeah. And, and it, as Ryan says, it's not a number of things. That can be a part of, of the essence. That, that's the form. Sure. And so she likes plants more than me. So the form of her version enough is more plants than what I would have in my own house, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's fine. I'm not opposed to those plants. In fact, I go through the Terra analogy. I don't, at first it was like, okay, I'll tolerate those plants in the house. Mm -hmm. I don't want them. Okay, fine. But wow, these sure do enhance her experience of life. And if her experience of life is enhanced, isn't my uh, experience of life enhanced? So I go from tolerance to the next big step, which is acceptance. Mm -hmm. I've accepted the fact like, oh, wow, yeah, she does get some joy out of this. Yep. This helps her in her life in some way. It, is, it enhances her life in some way. It serves a purpose in her life in some way, even if it doesn't in mine. It now all of a sudden serves a purpose in mine by proxy. Mm. And so I move on to that third letter, another big step. Yeah. respect because it also serves a purpose in my life. It's a bit selfish to say that, but it's the truth. Yeah. Well, now I can respect it because it doesn't directly serve me, but it serves her and I respect her. So I re get to respect her relationship. As long as she's not doing something that's harming herself or harming others, yeah. then of course there's a time to not respect or tolerate. If she started going around you know, spewing racism online, I'm not going to tolerate or appreciate Right. That, which appreciate is the last step there. If we can truly get to that place where it's not just respecting their proclivities, but wow, you know what? That plant is kind of beautiful. It's not what I would have if I lived alone, but yeah, that is beautiful. Bravo, Bex. Man, that's a much better place to be in than why do we have these stupid plants? I would never have these. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> they're. I'm thinking like a worst case scenario where, you know, um, we've had people come to our live events and they're like, I'm here because my partner is a hoarder and I'm trying to talk them out of, out of their stuff. And, you know, to a situation like that, which is, again, an extreme example, first and foremost, um, there's some miscommunication between you and your partner about what the boundaries are for stuff, which is okay. Um, but if it's that hoarding type situation, I mean, there's obviously something much deeper there than mm -hmm. just setting up some boundaries. Yeah, there's a mental illness with hoarding. We, we did a whole hoarding episode about this, right? Right, right. But luckily, I doubt 
uh, Stephanie here is in that situation. Yeah. Where her husband's a hoarder. So, or her partner's a hoarder. So, if your partner's things are taking away from your, what do you want to call it? Tranquility? Yeah. Your peace? Let's just say peace. Yes. If your partner's things are taking away from your peace, that is something you have to bring to your partner. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not something that is going to be solved overnight, but you go to your partner and you're, you try to support them as much as you can. You tolerate them as much as you can, respect them, uh, appreciate them as much as you can. But ultimately there might have to be a conversation where you're, where you say, Hey, look, I go out of my way to respect you and to love you. And I want you to be happy. And I know that you want the same thing for me. You respect me, you love me, you want me to be happy. Well, the amount of things that you, that you have, it's really encroaching on my peace. Yeah. And would you be willing uh-huh. to set up some boundaries with me so we can both get most of what we want? Right. And, and, and by the way, it's in, in doing that, well, I love what, the way you're approaching it, Ryan, because it's not, hey, your problem is causing me problems. Right. Because, no, it's not a problem for them, clearly. Mm-hmm. And even if it is a problem, it's not up to you to determine that it's, that it's a problem. It has become a problem for you. Now, the problem isn't the stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've identified that, right? What you identified is, oh, the problem is the disruption in my tranquility. Right. And in that disruption, that, uh, what is birthed out of that is a difficult conversation, mm-hmm. a boundary that may need to be set. Or, conversely, it may be that like, oh, this isn't actually a problem. The plant scenario I did with Bex is, I was able to get to a place where I could appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the problem dissipated. And as soon as the problem dissipated, as soon as it was eradicated, yeah. then I didn't need a solution at all. Right. I didn't even need a boundary. Right. Now, if she brought in seven more plants, then we're going to have to have a conversation about this. Right, because it would be interrupting your tranquility. Yes. It would be interrupting your peace. Yeah. Now, we have a rule in our house. This is helpful to have mm-hmm. a nice little rule. Now, you have to agree on this together because... You, you can't say, here's our new rule, Bex. Right. But the rule that we came up with together after many conversations, and by the way, that's why I love doing a podcast with her. It's kind of like when we do How to Love, it's it's almost us like talking through our relationship policies <laughs> over and over and over, like trying to, re- and it refines our policies in public or in semi-public. And um, anyway. So the policy you have. With her is we don't bring anything new into the house unless we both both agreed to bring it in. Mm. Now, that's restrictive to me, and it removes a little bit of my freedom, but it's how I maintain the peace. Mm. I give up a little bit of freedom because now I can't just, well, I'm going to bring, you know what, we really need a new couch. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's not being a good partner, right? Right. It's, uh, I'm sorry. It's not being a considerate partner. Right. It's it's taking my uh, only my preferences into consideration. Yeah. But if we're going to bring something in the house, whether it's a blender or a bed or a new coat hanger, mm. then it has to be agreed on by both of us. Now we can do it in a way that isn't combative. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you? Hey, Bex, what do you think of this coat hanger? I was thinking of replacing our coat hanger. You know, we've had it for a long time. I don't really care for the design that much. What do you think of this one? And she might say, oh, is that really the best use of our money? That coat hanger is $40. And uh, you know what? You're right. But there is an alternative. It's $35. And, you know, we can talk about it in a way where it's never judgmental. Mm. As soon as we judge, we lose our ability to love. Yeah. Amen to that. You could tweet that podcast, Sean. Marnie has a question for us. Okay, Marnie, when most of the people around you are always striving for more, how do you change your mindset to enoughism? How do you go from keeping up with the Joneses and FOMO to being content with what you have? And how do you get your loved ones on board with it too? So FOMO is the fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. Well, we just talked about this earlier, but all fear is not the fear of the unknown. It's fear of losing the known. Mm. Now, now, FOMO sounds like it's the fear of the unknown, right? You're missing out on something. Oh, I don't know what I could be doing. Mm. No, no, no. You're, you fear that you're losing pleasure. Yeah. That's, what f- that's fear of missing out. W- think of a time you've had FOMO in the past, right? Maybe some event you weren't invited I, to. I had FOMO or, this week, man. Okay, about what? Oh, uh, I had a friend going to uh, Mammoth to go snowboarding, and I really wanted to go, um, and I was – was the fear of missing out. I've only been boarding maybe four times this year. Uh-huh. Um, there's not a whole lot of snow left. Right. So like I had this, this, I had the FOMO going on. Right. And 
what we become afraid of is that, oh, I need more mm-hmm. in order to be content. Right. Well, you know better that as soon as you realize, oh, I'm already content, mm-hmm. that other activity is going to give me pleasure and that's fine, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to make me a better person, though. Right. Yeah. And and as soon as I start seeking the pleasure, though, I'm conversely seeking pain. It's it's not possible to have one without the other. We're just setting ourselves up for it. So yeah. uh, how, yeah. h- how do you change your mindset? Well, it's about avoiding that scarcity, right? We have a scarcity mindset right now. Mm-hmm. And, and even now it's like, well, there's not that much snow left or whatever, right? Yeah. But, but and that's true, mm-hmm. there isn't a whole lot of snow left and you're not gonna be able to snowboard in August. Yeah. But you are able to do other things that bring you pleasure. Mm-hmm. So you actually don't have a scarcity of pleasure. No. And once we realize that, it's like, oh, I already do have enough. Yeah. Well, I want to address this first part of Marnie's question. When most of the people around you mm-hmm. are always striving for more. So, Marnie, why are most of the people around who, who decides mm. the people that are around you, Marnie? Whose decision is that? That's a great point, man. So uh, you can't change the people around you. But you can change the people around you. Yes. So another striving is the acceptable word for craving in our society, by yeah, the way. Right. Uh, so let's just let's call it, let's be honest. When most of the people around you crave more, mm-hmm. how do you change your mindset to enoughism? So when most of the people around you crave more, how do you understand that you have enough? Well, as soon as you understand that their enough does not impact your enough at all. Yeah. And if it is, then I would be around different people. Mm. Yes. I mean, you know, there's a, there's that old, uh, you know, that the theory of you are the five people you hang around the most and who your role models are. Yeah. So, or I mean, Steve Martin, or something like that. yeah, something like that. But Marty, think about the five people you hang around the most. I mean, are they the ones who are craving more and more and more and more? Uh-huh. So maybe you need to bring in a different five people. Yeah. doesn't mean that you can or should never talk to those five people again. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Marty, you decide how much time you spend with whom. With yes. whom? Whom? Yes. Nailed it. And... <laughs> Uh, and so in our first book, Minimalism, Love a Meaningful Life, we talk about the sort of three relationship tiers. And I, I re-summarize it in Love People Use Things. We even put a diagram in there. But the more in-depth dive is actually in uh, Minimalism, Love a Meaningful Life. Because what Ryan's saying here is those primary relationships, mm-hmm. that, that, that if you have three concentric circles, the middle circle or your, your five most uh, primary relationships, right? Yeah. Now, some of those people might need to make it into the second tier mm-hmm. in order to make room for new primary relationships yeah. and vice versa. Now, of course, most of the people you spend time with, if you're like the average Westerner, they're all in that peripheral tier. We forsake the people closest to us, often the ones who aren't craving for more because we're spending time with coworkers and networking buddies and acquaintances and, mm-hmm. and people at the bar or wherever. And you realize like, oh yeah, those people are craving. Yeah. Maybe I don't even need to reprioritize my relationships. I just need to reprioritize how I'm spending my time. And I, I should probably spend my time with the people whom are most uh, important to me. Otherwise, not that I have to, mm-hmm. there's, there's no compulsion to do whatever you want. But if you're spending time with people who are constantly craving, then you yourself are going to become an addict as well. Yeah. Jessica has a question for us. How do we be so present that when we reflect on those times, we'll feel it was enough (laughs) and that we were completely filled with what we needed? Oh, Jessica, you don't see the irony in your question. So (laughs) how can I be so present that sometime in the future, I'll be happy that I was present? Yeah. It's impossible to be present in the future. Yeah. And, and yet your question is, it's not your fault. This is exactly how we all think. Yeah. I want to be so present that in the future, my, I'll be happy about the past. <laughs> well, no, that's not how the present works. In fact, yeah. the present is all that we have. Everything else is a fiction. The past is a fiction. The future is a fiction. And... They're fine fictions to entertain and to hold loosely, but we don't hold them loosely. We death grip them, and I hold on to the future, and and I cling to the past. 
And all that does is takes me, takes me out of the present moment. Mm. There, there's only one way to do this. Is it's not a how-to, but it's to be. It's to just be. Yeah. Because otherwise, we aren't being. You know, we are human doings. So really, Jessica, I would refine your question to ask a better quality question, which would be, how do we be present? Mm. And that's really, that's really what I think Jessica is trying to say. Um, yes, I agree with you. And, you know, we're always going to look at life in the rear view and see the mistakes, see how we would do things differently. That's life. Um, so how can you enjoy the present? Uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. Let's talk about the state of no mind, Ryan. So, sure. So the times when you are most present is not, a, uh, is not when you are present be doing present Mm -hmm. you can't do present Mm -hmm. because that is an activity Mm. Uh, what you can do is you can experience the present Mm. but when we experience the present uh, eternity is another way i think timelessness Mm -hmm. is another way to think of it when when things are going really well and you look up at the clock on the wall and you're like it's way later than i thought it was Mm -hmm. That's because you lost track of time. Be- why did you lose track of time? Because there was no time. You were in the present. And so what, m- my question for you is not a how-to. It's a qu- just simply a question. What activities do you do that you can do regularly that puts you in that flow state, that state of no mind? Because mm. when you're in that flow state, you're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about the past. You're not even thinking about the present. You simply are experiencing this moment right now. Yep. Yeah, totally agree. Rachel has a question for us. What about enough when it comes to gifts? How do we get friends and family to stop with all the gifts we don't need or want, especially around the holidays? Mm. I've tried You're the Gift. Mm-hmm. I've <laughs> asked them to volunteer together somewhere instead. Yeah. I've recommended your materials to them. Nothing sticks. I think the problem, Rachel, is you're trying to make someone do something. Ooh, that's a great point, Ryan. Expand on that. Well, if you have voiced your boundaries, your uh, preferences, your perspectives, and people choose to ignore those, that's there's nothing you can do, Rachel. So maybe you haven't communicated those effectively, right? Yeah. So it, it, instead of trying to convince someone, it's about communicating, right? right. I think that's what you're saying here. Mm-hmm. What if I? Yeah, but I mean, what? So what if I like just walked by Josh and you were standing on the corner? And I walked by and I had a, an empty can and I handed it to you. Yeah. And then I walked away and now you're stuck on the corner holding an empty can. That would be a hilarious joke, but it would suck. But it would suck. What are you yeah. going to do with that? You're going to throw it away. Yes. So um, I'm not saying to throw away your things, to throw away your gifts. But, you know, when someone hands you something and then walks away and just brushes their hands off, oh, that's yours now. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's yours. Yes. You can do whatever you want with it. Now, when we're having these communications, uh, when I, the reason I talk about communication, Ryan brings up a great point about them handing you stuff. It is now yours. But if you don't want them to hand you the stuff, maybe they're, maybe they're just being inconsiderate. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's the case, Ryan's right. You, you just need to uh, understand that it's now yours. They're going to have to deal with that as well, especially if you've done a good job communicating. What I've realized is, oh, for many years, I did a horrible job communicating. Now, how did I do a horrible job communicating? I didn't know what enough was. Mm. I didn't communicate what enough was. Mm-hmm. But then also, when I started to understand what enough was, Ryan, you know how I communicated? It was, no, no, no. Don't get me that. Stop. Bah humbug. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, wait a minute. That's not, that's not effective communication. Mm-hmm. Don't tell people what you don't want. Tell them what you do want. Mm-hmm. Don't say, don't get me gifts, get me experiences. Say, hey, you know what would be a great gift? It's all about framing. Hey, right. you know what would be a great gift for us this year? Mm-hmm. Some movie tickets for this film that's coming out on Christmas Day. Would you like to go with me? Yeah. <gasps> now, all of a sudden, you've gotten them excited about it because you're excited about it. What are you excited about that you want to convey to them? If you can communicate that effectively, the word no never even has to appear in your conversation. And they feel great. Like, oh, I gave, I gave Ryan this gift that he really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So you're making your friend feel good. You feel good because you didn't have to get another can that someone handed to you on the street corner. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win for everyone. Yeah. Terry has a question for us. How about enoughism for information? I'm trying to learn more and better myself, but the sheer volume of info and advice leaves me feeling overwhelmed. 
It highlights what I'm lacking from a personal growth perspective. Oh, I want to talk about this, Ryan. So I think the problem is personal growth. Uh, we, a few weeks ago, talked about the difference between intentional growth and, and just never-ending growth. Mm-hmm. In our culture, we have the desire for never-ending gro- growth. Yeah. Businesses are t- In fact, businesses have a fiduciary responsibility. It's illegal for them to not grow endlessly. Yeah, it's wild. It, it's crazy. And so, Terry, when, when I think about your question here, information, we don't lack information. Right. We have more information than ever. And, and we've been told that information is power. No, information is potential power, but it can also be stifling. Mm-hmm. So it's also potential lack of power. It's disempowering having too much information heaped on us at once. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we have access to the information without needing all of the information. So don't mistake information for knowledge and certainly don't mistake it for wisdom. Wisdom is earned through experience. Now, it can be coupled with information to make to make informed decisions, but if it's just about the information, of course it's gonna be overwhelming. What else is gonna be overwhelming is the personal growth. We feel like we need to grow. We need to better ourselves. We need to improve the seven aspects of our life. We need the spreadsheet of goals. Mm. We need the habit change. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But we need those things only if we feel like we don't have enough. Mm. You don't need to improve that which is already perfect. Mm. I, I, when Ella was a, a baby, I never said, hey, Bex, we really need to improve this girl, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, no, there's no improving a baby. They're right. perfect. Mm-hmm. It's only as they're beaten up by society and societal norms, by the status quo, they're battered by the status quo that we become imperfect. And then we try to improve by adding more and more and more. Mm-hmm. The real improving is through subtracting. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, it's because, yeah, I guess I'm trying to look at what do, what do we mean by personal growth? Because, like, obviously, you got to teach Ella to read. You got to teach her how to, like, put her clothes on. I mean, there are, you know, dress herself, go to the bathroom by herself. So there are those, I mean, would, would you consider those improvements or what? Because, like, where do you decide? No, I wouldn't consider those improvements. I mean, that's just living. And she, she, mm. She'd learn how to pee on her own. She has been peeing since day one. Um, <laughs> and, and sure. yeah, there, there's sort of potty training, but that's a societal thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so societal growth, maybe here's a better way to look at it. We talked about this with... You know, not all growth is the same. Yeah. A, a bicep after spending a month in the gym, you know, it's it grows. That's a particular mm-hmm. kind of intentional growth. Yeah. A tumor is growth, and society is the tumor. And and what we've done is is we we have all of these tumors all over the place, mm. and then we're asking ourselves, how do I improve these tumors, Ryan? Yeah, yeah I don't improve yeah. the tumors. I remove the tumors. I guess, Terry, I would ask myself, if, if I was Terry, I'd ask myself, why do I feel like I need the personal growth in the first place? Right. Who told me? Yeah. I mean, it's like, because I get it in the sense that like, uh, okay, so let's go with health because that's the easiest example example for me to think of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, before my back, I was like in the best shape of my life. It has been two years since I broke my back and I have not been able to get back there because honestly, I haven't, I haven't committed. So what I need for myself is uh, to eat better, to exercise more. Those are things that I would like to do for myself. If you, that's what I think of personal growth, personal growth when I think of that term, personal growth. Okay. So I don't think it's about eating better though. And what I mean by that, it's about subtracting, right? Or so not th- eating. Exactly. Poorly. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Sure. So, um, but that's, but again, like the, the essence of what I'm saying is okay. we're saying the same thing. Um, so, uh, yes, eating better to me is e- eating better in the sense that, yeah, I'm not eating bad things. I'm eating good things, healthier things, healthier options. So sure. eating less bad things. Um, I don't have to read a thousand books. Right. to know what's healthy. I don't have to read a thousand books to know what exercises I need to do. And I think maybe that's where Terry might be getting caught up is they have this vision of what they want themselves to be. Uh-huh. And instead of just going out and doing it, uh-huh. they 
are caught up in the information overload. Sure, and whose vision is it? So I, you, so, you started with that, Ryan, and I, I really, I think that's the most important part because if that vision was handed to you by society, mm -hmm. by the status quo, by an advertisement, yeah. then yeah, you can strive for it and you can get it. You can, quote, improve mm -hmm. your life until you get that, uh, attain that vision. Yeah. But you're going to be even more miserable so, by adding yeah. more. Yes. So, you know, Terry, again, going with the health example, um, I, ex I do exercise bike. I do some weightlifting. Um, I've, I've got a, uh, you know, specific, uh, I want to say diet, but I know that that word is a trigger also. But I'll just say diet for the lack of a better word. I have sure. a specific diet that I'm, that I'm trying to follow. Um, Dietary lifestyle, we could call it. Sure. So... Uh, if that stops working, then I will seek more information. Mm. But first I'm trying. So, uh, you know, maybe Terry, you give yourself permission to seek more information once you've tried something that isn't working. Then it's appropriate to seek more information. But if you're, yeah, if you're going to sit there and read, oh, why should I be vegan? Why should I be pescatarian? Why should I be a uh, carnivore? Whatever it is, like you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be lost in the information. Try something. And if it doesn't work, then seek information. But having the information is not going to make you improve whatever it is that you're trying to improve. Information does nothing for you. It might get in the way. It's the action, yes, that, that actually helps you learn and figure out what is best for you. As long as you have an understanding, it's the action, right? Because it, right. if you have the wrong, I'm saying wrong in vocal quotes here, but the wrong understanding, meaning like, oh, I'm supposed to be the 60 hour a week businessman. I'm supposed right. to be a C-level executive by the time I'm 40, then that's a particular understanding. And you could take all the action you want to get there, but it's if it's not the direction in which you want to travel, you're traveling in someone else's direction. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's do one more question here. Should we do Stephanie's or Aaron's or Tiffany's? Let's, uh, oh, let's do Tiffany's. Okay. Let's do Tiffany's. How do we fight the high we get when we get more so we don't continue to chase it? How do we fight the high we get when we get more mm -hmm. so we don't continue to chase it? The problem is you're getting high, Tiffany. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so so It's like saying, How do I do heroin but not want more of it? Right. How how can I do heroin and not get high? And not crave that high. Right. And and you know what? My heroin was stuff. Mm-hmm. And Ryan's heroin was heroin, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not a heroin. Addict. No, no, it was, I was I, damn close. Though. I mean, it was uh, uh, opioids, not opiates, right? Yeah, right. Um, Ryan's very synthetic, sort right. of minimalist. <laughs> <laughs> you should see the food he eats. It's little cubes of uh, little food pellets. Food pellets, yes. Yeah. No. So um, the it's you. I understand the the spirit of the question here is like, hey, I experience pleasure and therefore I keep wanting more pleasure. I'm chasing the dragon, right? Mm, yeah. And so what ha why do they call it chasing the dragon, Ryan? Like what is the oh, what does it really mean? So, I mean, I yeah, I don't know why they call it the dragon, but ch when I think the dragon it's the high and what happens is you do a drug you feel this level of euphoria that you've never experienced before. And then you're saying you're, the first time you do it? Yeah. And okay. then you're constantly trying to get that feeling of euphoria. Again. So, yeah. So you're chasing it. And the problem is you'll never get that high again. Right. Like the first time you get high is the highest you'll ever get. The second time you might get almost there. The third time you might get almost there. But yeah. but it's constant. It, it's constantly chasing that original euphoric feeling. So Tiffany, if I could summarize this, uh, what Ryan is saying is try heroin once and that's it. <laughs> and that's it. And that's as high as you'll ever get. And then you'll be fine. But, but you know, yeah, the problem is, again, it's the fact that they're getting high from buying stuff. Yes. So, you know, I don't it know. It leads to debt because the highs, the higher the high, the lower the lows. Right. The, you know, we lived in Montana for a long time. If you go to the top of the mountain, mm -hmm. The higher the mountain, the lower the valley by default, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, the sea level, if we're 7,000 feet above sea level, it's quite the tumbling down. Yeah. And so the experience is like you want to live in Fargo, not in uh, Aspen here, right? Uh, emotionally. Right. And, and so because emotional Aspen is beautiful, but those peaks are so small. Yeah. And the valleys 
are gigantic. And as soon as you understand that every time you're pursuing pleasure, mm. you're pursuing 10 times more pain, yeah. you'll be able to drop the desire for that high. And I'll tell you, when like I bought, uh, we, we finally bought a new car. Well, it had 80 something thousand miles on it. It was new, new to you. Yeah. Um, but it was still like a nice, like it was a nice car. Yeah. Very grateful to have it. Drives so much better than the stretch Rolls Royce. That's right. It drives so much better than the Corolla. And, you know, I found myself really um, enjoying drive. Like I was looking for reasons to drive mm. because we really enjoyed being in the car. Yeah. Um, of course, I think to myself like, well, man, a Tesla probably even feels better. Mm. It drives itself. I don't have to drive it. So, I mean, there are these there are these these impulses that certainly come up. But what I do is because I've trained myself for the last 10 years to not act on those impulses and to take a step back and try to appreciate what I have and really use discernment to understand if I have enough, Mm -hmm. I'm able to hold space for those impulses, but not act on them. That's That's a good point because you, we often confuse enjoying with pleasure mm-hmm. and there's an aspect of pleasure to it. There's a, you look at the Venn diagram, it's there, but enjoying is just, uh, the word you used is appreciation. It's appreciation in action. Yeah. So what you're talking about is you can enjoy something without craving it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the experience of being with you without having to crave your, I don't need your presence in order to make me happy or content, but I'm able to enjoy our time together. In fact, I would argue I enjoy it more because I'm truly able to appreciate it if I don't crave it. Yeah. All right, y'all. Love people, use things. Thank you, patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. See ya. Minimalists. <laughs>